Well, this morning, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about how do we prepare ourselves for what God is going to be doing. And, you know, we prepare for a lot of different things. Uh, for example, a few months ago, we said, you know, we want to we wanna set aside a Sunday that we just want to uh, welcome people to the church, give folks as much information as we can about what God's doing in the life of the church, and uh, so we chose that date to be September 9th. Well, you know when you choose a date to do something, uh, you set it out there and then you think about all the things you want to have accomplished, like, you know, some Krispy Kreme donuts in the Welcome Center, and some of you missed that, I'm sorry, but maybe when you go back through you can snag one. But, you know, you, gotta, you make all these plans, you want information, we wanted to type up some information to put in the bulletin so you'll know all the things that are going on in the life of the church, and a number of other things, but... You know, you make these plans, and then, you know, days pass, and weeks pass, and, you know, September 9th is coming, and so you have to start implementing the plans, and get ready, prepare yourself for it. And hopefully we were, you know, prepared this morning, and you felt welcomed, and you got all, you know, jazzed up with sugar and caffeine, and you're alert this morning. And uh, we're going to have a lunch, and Lord willing, the food will be there when we end today. So we'll see how the preparation works out. But there are many other things, too, that we prepare for. For example, I know when my wife and I, we've, had, we've got three children. And so I can remember, you know, when we were told that we were pregnant with our first child. You know, when you find out you're about to have a child, you only have a certain amount of time before the child comes, right? You know, you've got about 40 weeks, give or take. You know, our first one took a little longer than that. He decided to stay in a little bit longer, but he finally came. But you know you only have a window of opportunity. And you know what you do in that window is you start buying a lot of stuff, like strollers, you got the cribs, you got all these gadgets, you convert the guest bedroom to the you know baby's room now, you, you paint, you put up new curtains, all these different things. You buy clothes, you buy maternity clothes, all kind of things you have to do to prepare for the coming of this new life, you know. And, uh, and if you're parents or grandparents or, you, or you've seen people you know, have their first child, you know what that's, that's like. Or maybe it's retirement. Maybe you sat down with a financial advisor at some point or maybe you just sat down with your spouse and you thought about, you know, at some point in my life I'm, I'm not going to be able to work like I work now and we need to start planning for the future. And so you start thinking about some goals you want to set and what it's going to take to get there and you start preparing for it. Or maybe, you know, you're in college or grad school, and you think, you know, in four years or two years, I want to graduate. Or maybe in high school, I want to graduate in this number of years. Well, you know, to do that, you have to enroll in the classes. You've got to go to class. You've got to do the work. You've got to prepare for the day when it comes. You can't just sit around the house, and then when, you know, May the 6th comes in two years, you just show up and get your diploma. You know, it takes some preparation for those days. And this morning, as you've already heard a little bit about this man that we're going to talk about uh, in the sermon, is that we're going to look at this man that was asked to do something really outside the box, pretty, pretty amazing, uh, that required, certainly required faith. And we're going to see that this man had a faith that prepared, that was able to prepare himself for what God was doing in the future. And this man's name is Noah. And you heard the account about Noah from the book of Genesis already. But I want to read, from you, read to you from uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews 11. If you don't have a Bible, we have one in front of you in the pew. And you can use that one. 
And while you're turning there, I want to give you a little context here. Because the, the writer of Hebrews is writing this letter in order to encourage first century Christians to persevere in their faith to the end. He's trying to tell them, you know, I know you placed your faith in Christ at some point in time, but it's very important that you persevere no matter what comes along in the path of life, that you persevere to the end. And in this chapter, in chapter 11, what he's doing is he is giving us a list of historical examples of people who have exhibited persevering faith. And then he comes to Noah in verse 7. And this is what he says about Noah. He says, By faith, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So he's saying that Noah, by faith, he was warned about something that God was going to do. And then he responded in a certain way. And so the, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the life of Noah and this response that he had. And I want to first look at the, the culture in which Noah lived, his generation. And I want to show you how the fact that God spoke to Noah and gave him this challenge was really brought about a crisis. You know, it brought about this moment of decision Will he trust God? Will he not? And then I want us to look at Noah's response. And then I want us to finally look at how God responded to Noah's faith. And so let's first look at Noah's cultural condition that prompts this crisis, this moment of decision. You know, what will Noah do? If you look at Genesis uh, during Noah's day, the writer of Genesis explains the culture this way. In Genesis 6-5, he says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then just a few verses later in verse 11, he says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. So you can kind of get a picture that the culture that Noah was in the midst of was basically a culture of people who were not concerned with who God is. And didn't really care what God wanted to do, wanted them to do, what He was going to do. They just didn't really care about that. And so in the midst of this type of culture where people were kind of building culture, building their lives apart from God. In the midst of that, you have this, this one lampstand, so to speak. This one shining light, Noah. A man who actually cares about who God is. And wants to know God and wants to walk with God. So in the midst of this culture, you have Noah. And it says Noah's walking with God. Now, Noah had been walking with God, but then God approaches Noah and tells him to do something that's a little outside the box. He's going to tell Noah to do something that has never been done before. He says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do something to the earth. I'm going to judge the earth because men have decided to go against me. And I'm going to bring about some renewal to the earth. And I'm going to do it through this flood. And I want you to build this large ship, this ark. Okay? And, and so that's what I want you to do. And so Noah was walking with God. And then God gives him this specific challenge. And so Noah's kind of put in that position. Will I, will I take him up on his challenge? Will I believe that God's actually going to do what he says he's going to do? And will I act in accordance with that? You know, it's kind of like, like this. It, let's say you were to 
just go into the doctor's office, routine checkup. You just go in to the doctor's office. They run tests, just routine. Nothing's wrong. You don't feel sick or anything like that. It's just a checkup. And the doctor comes back and says, you know, uh, I know you don't know this yet, but something's going on in your body that if you just continue the way you have always been living and you don't do anything about it, it's going to kill you. There's this, this form of disease, this cancer that's growing in you that if you leave it unchecked, it's going to bring about death. And so, what do you do? You can, I guess you can do one of two things. You can say, I feel fine. <laughs> things are going just fine. I feel great. I'm not going to subject myself to a new diet and exercise and some type of medication and treatment. I, I feel just fine. I, I, don't, I don't think you got this right. Or you could trust what the doctor's telling you. You believe that he's reliable. You trust him. And then you alter the way you view life because of the diagnosis and the word that comes from the doctor. That's kind of the situation Noah's in. You know, he, he was used to a certain type of life. He's walking with God. And then God says, Noah, I'm about to do something that's going to require you to alter your life a bit. Will you do it? And that's Noah's challenge. Will he respond? Will he trust God's word? And will he obey? Will he seek God's will for him? Even in the midst of a culture that's not doing that. And even for the, the idea that you know, this, what God's asking him to do is so out of the box. You know, God's about to do something that Noah has never experienced. Mankind had never experienced. There's no history that can, can live up to what God's about to do. And God's going to tell Noah, I want you to prepare for this. Even though it's something that you've never seen before. That's Noah's challenge. And I think that's similar to our challenge. I mean, we're not called to build boats, even though some of you may. And that's fine. But we're called to trust God in His Word in the midst of a culture where not everyone is. And realizing that if we do trust God in His Word, it may be a little countercultural. It may seem even a little peculiar at times. But the question is for you and for me is, are you going to trust Him? Do you believe what God says that He's going to do in His Word? So that's Noah's situation. And that's very similar to our situation as well. So let's, let's look at how Noah responds to this challenge of God. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Which is interesting right there. If you just look at that little phrase. God told Noah, I'm about to do something that, I mean, you, you're not going to see it. I mean, it's something that you're just going to have to trust me on here. It really ties in well with verse 1 when the writer of Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. And so embedded in faith, this idea of trusting in God is this idea that yes, I can trust God for the present, but also mixed in with that, I'm also trusting God for the future. In what is yet unseen. I don't know what he's going to do next. I don't know exactly what tomorrow is going to hold. But I do know what he's going to do in the end. And so mixed in with faith is this idea of anticipation of the future and what God is going to do. And so it says, By faith being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. 
And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It says that Noah, when he received God's word, he responded in faith. He trusted God's word. And how do we know that? Well, he built the ark. That's how we know it. You know, this faith that, that Noah had, it, it, it took on flesh. It, it manifested itself. It showed itself because he believed God. And so he built the ark. And we see in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, it says that Noah did all that the Lord commanded him to do. And so what we see here is that Noah, he had faith, and that faith was manifested in how, how Noah viewed and acted out his life. He did it in light of what God commanded him to do. And then over in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it talks about how Noah, God preserves Noah through the flood, and then He calls Noah a herald of righteousness. Because you've got to ask yourself the question, okay, Noah responded in faith to God to build the ark, but what happened between when God gave him this command, this challenge, and when the floods came? What happened in between here? Well, we know he built a big boat. We know that much. But what else happened? Well, it says Noah was a herald of righteousness. And it says in the passage that by exhibiting his faith through building of the ark, he condemned the world. Now that sounds a little harsh. So how does that work out? Well, here, I think this is how it works out. Noah, in, in the midst of a culture that did not regard God, didn't care about God, didn't care about what God had to say, what God wanted to do, Noah was walking with God. And so when God said, I want you to do this, I'm bringing about this judgment on the earth, I want you to build this ark, and Noah believed God and began to build it, this is maybe how it looked. You know, when you're in the midst of a culture and you are doing what God wants you to do, in the midst of a culture that is not really concerned with doing what God wants you to do, the fact that you do that, the fact that you live your life a certain way, value certain things, use certain language, manage your money in a certain way, you know, certain jokes you don't tell or you don't laugh at. You know, there's certain things as Christians we don't do because it's not that we're just trying to restrict life and be very prudish, but we're just actually trying to walk with God and do what God wants us to do. And so in doing that though, what happens is as you live out your faith, at times, it's going to create friction with the culture. And your faith, as you live it out, is basically telling the culture that this aspect of the culture, this aspect of your life, is in opposition to God. And so by living out the faith, it shows and exposes the faithlessness of the world. And that's what Noah was doing. He was living out faith in God. And by doing that, he exposed the faithlessness of the world that he lived in. And that's, I think that's what he means by he condemned the world. By living out his faith, he showed that other folks in his generation could care less about God, but yet that was not Noah. Noah obeyed God, followed God, trusted God, and lived his life in accordance with that. See, Noah, Noah lived in a time where people would use their, their time and their talents and their resources for personal gain. 
And it was all about them. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about what God's doing around the world. It was all about them. It's all about you know, me getting pleasure. Me you know, gaining power. Or me just trying to accumulate possessions. That's what it was about. And so in the midst of a culture like that, you have Noah, who after hearing from God that he's to build this ark, begins to use his time, his talents and resources to obey God's will. I mean, that, that was countercultural in his day. And I got a feeling it'd be countercultural in our day as well, would it not? If we as Christians, those who believe in God, that believe that the way we know God is through Jesus Christ, as we put flesh on that faith and walk it out, and we use our time and our talents and our resources to do God's will, I think it's going to look a little different than the way the culture pursues those same ends. And so we see Noah responding to God's challenge with a faith that prepares. And now let's look at God's response. And one of the things you see throughout the Scripture is that God always rewards faith. You notice that? He always rewards faith. And in Hebrews eleven seven, it says that Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So what we see there is not only does God always prepare a way for us to be preserved in the midst of judgment. You know, because God is holy. He's perfect. He's perfectly good, perfectly loving, perfectly holy. And so you cannot stand in God's presence and be in rebellion against Him. And so God will at some point, just like He demonstrated here in the flood, even in our day, God will bring about judgment in each of our lives as we face Him. And we will have to give an account for our lives. Did we live for Him or not? And all throughout Scripture we see that God always provides a way for us to be preserved in judgment. Through judgment. Was Noah perfect? No. But, but he entered into that, that preservation of judgment, the ark, by faith. He trusted God. He believed God could carry him through the judgment. And he did just that. And so today, we're not building a boat. It's not going to flood like that. But, in the same way, we have to go to God in faith, believing in the means by which He wants to save us and bring us through the judgment. And so it says Noah here was an heir of righteousness. He wasn't just an heir of, you know, not drowning. But he was an heir of righteousness, which means that God preserved Noah through the flood, through the ark, and He preserves Noah eternally because of his faith. He was righteous in God's sight. You know, sometimes uh, we have murals of Noah's Ark on, the, uh, on our child's wall. Have you ever painted a mural of Noah's Ark? Or maybe you've given a Noah's Ark Christmas ornament. We got one of those. We got a couple of them, I think. Or maybe you've read a book about Noah's Ark. And what's the picture you always see? You have this boat, and it's just busting at the seams with all these animals. I mean, you got the giraffe hanging out, you got elephant, you got all kinds of things. All these animals are like crunched in there. It's like a floating zoo. And then you got this real old man, Noah, 
white hair, beard. What's he doing? He's probably standing at the front, smiling. You know, he's all excited. It's, it's the sun shining. You know, it looks like a carnival cruise or something. And then you got, you know, the big rainbow overhead. It's just a happy thought. But, you know, when you think about the Noah story, it's really a mixture of death and life, is it not? You know, judgment came on the earth because man wanted to go his own way apart from God. And so many people suffered because they were unwilling to follow God. And they died. And yes, in the mixture of that death, there was preserved life. Those who had faith in God were preserved through the ark. And so yes, there is a sense in which that mural communicates life and goodness. But we can't forget that redemption is a mixture of death and life. Even for us, the only way that we can be brought through the judgment of God for our sin, the only way that we can be right with God, have forgiveness for our sin, be brought into God's family for all eternity, is both a mixture of death and life. We don't enter a boat to come into a relationship with God, but we do enter God's means of salvation, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. See, Christ had to die for our sin so that we could be an heir of righteousness. So that we could be brought through the judgment of God and spend eternity with God. And so although we don't have to board a boat in fear of a great flood, we know that one day God is going to hold each of us accountable for our lives. And the question is going to be, Just like for Noah, are you in the ark or not? The question for us is going to be, are you in Christ or not? But God always provides a way for us to pass through the judgment and be right with Him. You know, the writer of of, uh, the Gospel, specifically the Gospel of Luke, Luke uses this Noah account to, to show how the second coming of Christ is going to happen. I want to read to you a few verses from from Luke 17. He says in verse 20, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. He said, just like in Noah's day, so the same in our day, people are just going to be kind of doing their own thing, going their own way, and then all of a sudden, you're going to be face to face with Christ. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, really there's two. One, Are you prepared to meet Christ? God says in His Word that Christ is coming back. And when He does, He will bring judgment and renewal. He will bring in a new heavens and new earth. 
And He will bring renewal for those who have faith in Him. Just like God did for Noah in that temporal judgment. And the question is, are you ready to meet Christ? Are you prepared? Do you have a faith that has prepared you for Him? In other words, are you found in Christ? Do you have faith in Christ? The second question that we have to ask ourselves is, once we have faith in Christ, we believe Him, we believe His Word, are we preparing for Christ and His coming? You remember, Noah believed God's Word, but what happened? It changed the way he lived. It changed the way he did life. And in the same way, if you have faith in Christ and you believe God's Word that, yes, God is doing something, He's going to bring about this great renewal, how can you live the same way? You can't. If you believe God's Word, it is going to make its way out in how you do life. We're going to live not for today and not for tomorrow, not just for the next 40, 40 weeks or nine months or until we re retire or whatever it may be or graduation, but we're living for eternity. Our eyes are set on eternity. We want to do what God wants us to do. We want to be invested in eternal things. And that's one reason why we gather here every Sunday morning is because we want to be reminded of that. We want to know what God's Word says. We want to follow Him by faith. And so as this world is just pregnant, waiting for the birth of the new heavens, the new earth that will come at the second coming of Christ, the question that we have to ask ourselves is that are you, by faith, preparing for that day? Let us pray. God, we come to You acknowledging that we don't always live our lives in light of eternity. We don't uh, always use our time, our resources, our talents for Your purposes. We acknowledge that, Lord. And we are so thankful that our salvation is not based on our ingenuity, our ability, but rather it's based solely on whether or not we have faith in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for each person here that each person here would be found in Christ. And Lord, I pray as we reflect on the question, do we know Christ or not? If we do, help us to evaluate our lives and ask, am I, do I believe God's Word? Do I believe what you said to be true? And if so, Lord, I just ask that my life would be characterized by living out the gospel of Jesus Christ, by living for eternal things, things that matter to you, not just what, about what things what, that matter to me. I pray for each person here that we would experience your grace, your mercy in Christ, and that your gospel, your good news, your grace, your love, your forgiveness will make its way out in our lives, both today and every day until you come. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.